Hello, I'm Joe. And I'm Ricky. And this is episode 14 from season 3 of the Beer and Broadband podcast. It should come out on September 21st, 2020. And we are going to talk about another one of the things that I tried to experiment with over the uh, break that we did. Um, specifically, a ginger beer that I made, um, which I'm fairly happy with. Um, it's another one of those things that I made that ended up being pretty okay. It, it will at least met what I was trying to do, which was have a very strong ginger citrus kind of flavor to it. Um, so hopefully you're, tr you're trying it and you'll be able to tell me a little bit about, uh, what you think of it. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I was in the middle of taking a sip. Oh, uh, that's okay. Well, it's not too bad. Sorry, I'm going to go in for a second one. Okay. You go ahead. I, I was taking a sip to remind myself of what that <laughs> tastes like. Um, so, um, before I start kind of rambling on, I'll give you some of the facts about it. So, um, it is uh using safe so4 i made one gallon it started out at 1.04 uh and then dropped down to um about 0.99 before i stopped so it's about a 6.5 abv and then i dropped some carbonation tabs into each bottle to get them to carb um so the the found was on a website and i don't remember what the website was normally i cite my sources but um if I find it out, you know, like I'll, I'll put it back in. I just, I don't remember where I got it from, but it's basically two thirds of a cup of ginger. So I grated it up and then I put a cup of sugar, uh, a third of a cup of lemon juice and a third of a cup of lime, lime juice, a, a teaspoon of cream of tartar. And I added that, um, all to a pot and cooked it mm. for a bit. And then after I cooked it out, I strained it out and then poured it into the, the gallon jug uh, with what was left of the the water uh, and that that's what created that strong like citrus and ginger flavor gotcha I'll, I'll be honest this is not bad i know you told me to be prepared to sweeten it i don't think it needs to be sweetened in all hmm. honesty as somebody who drinks a lot of ginger beer from a lot of different companies like i grab just anything i can whenever i see mm -hmm. it in the store um some things like the ones you can find at like harris teeter or like the one that we tried um I think like two years ago now when we went to the either it was, it was either the wine science of wine or science, science of beer, beer. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that one is, was severely sweet compared to most and you know that's what most people like so you know right. I, I understand that but most of the ones i drink are less sweet than this or really mm -hmm. i guess the sweetness the dryness is probably close to the same but there's a lot more ginger i don't think the lemon lime is bad in this mm -hmm. but i'll say from someone who drinks a lot of it i want more of that ginger I would almost double the ginger you have in it because you want that heat. So I, I am going to try a different method. Um, the next time I make the same thing where I actually add the ginger into the brew, mm -hmm. um, to, to be able to make it. Oh, okay. So yeah, you strain it all out at the end yeah. after you, you boil it. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah that'd probably help a lot. Um, you actually might not, I might roll back that statement that you need to double the ginger. I think you're right. The first step to take would be just to leave the ginger in there. Right. And, and, and look, I'm happy with this where it is. I would drink this anytime. This is my, this is one of my, my, cause you're right. I, I, I'm expecting more like a Canada dry kind of ginger flavor, but with less sweetness when I have a ginger beer, mm -hmm. the only thing, like I had one that carbonated really, really well. Some of them didn't, some of them did. 
the one that I have right now doesn't have as much fizz to it, and that fizz adds something to the to the way that it hits your palate. Yeah, and it I, does. I liked it. Uh, I liked it a whole lot. So I, once I get the get the carbonation amount that's needed to make this happen, I'm going to go back and do it. But I think this, and I'm going to try ginger mead. That's my next thing to try, and I'm going to basically do the same recipe, but I'm going to add all the ginger into the mead mm-hmm. after I make it. Uh, and that's next week that I'm I'm gonna like cook that and do it, and so then we'll probably talk about like the process of making that. And if but on the side note, I'm also gonna make I'm gonna make two batches of of the ginger. I'm gonna make another ginger beer during that time, and I'm gonna see if it if it'll end up being you know, like working out okay. So, um, you know, the the I'm I'm fairly pleased with this, but I see a lot of room for improvement. Yeah. So. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like, this is not bad. There's places you can improve, but this is... I've had several different, like, home-brewed ginger beers, because a lot of people like making it. I've got a couple people kind of back towards where I grew up that have gotten into home-brewing. Um, saw some of them before quarantine, and they had ones to try. Not that great. A lot of people like to kind of just great ginger and throw it in and not do any of the extra steps of like cooking it to help release the juices or cutting it finely to kind of help it brew faster. Uh, this is probably one of the better ones I've had made by like people I know. It just needs more, more heat. I'll try and find, um, if I'm ever at Total Wine again, uh, we've been avoiding it since we're all in quarantine. Um, they used to carry one that I think was imported from Poland maybe. That was really good. I mean, it it is not trying to hide any of its ginger. It's maybe almost a little bit too much, but that's what like got me into it. Is it is just hot. I mean, it's almost like drinking something. Like if you've ever had like the well, I know you have. I'm just more to the audience, I guess. If you've ever had like not so much Fireball, but other like high brand, really hard cinnamon whiskeys. They have like that sort of burn to them. Like they're not playing with the amount of spice that's in it. One thing that uh, I did at the beginning of this, and I've been kind of stirring it a little bit, is I, I dropped some honey into it, just uh, like a tablespoon mm-hmm. or a twelve ounce for twelve ounces. So not not much, maybe maybe less than a tablespoon. It was just like a quick, um, you know, kind of squirt of of what I had in my um in my honey bee jar here, um, and it. It brings out some of the flavors, like some of the the actual flavor of ginger in it, not the heat, but the flavor. Mm-hmm. And, but then it also adds like that kind of honey characteristic. So I'm I'm hoping that the mead that I end up with will have a more pronounced version of that. Like it's it's fairly pleasurable. I, I like it yeah. a whole lot. Yeah, I, I think it will. I mean, ginger and mead—that's a great combination because you already get a little bit of heat just from the meat itself, because that's a difficult fermentation for the yeast. Having like a very natural addition to that is always really good. I'm sure that that's going to turn out pretty well. Even if it's not like exactly what you want, I have a hard time seeing a mead with ginger in it being worse than just a standard mead, you know, like that's only good things being put into that pot. And I, and, and I know that I put baking the ginger mead as one of the topics of, of this, like, you know, episode. So I'm, I'm more like talking about the plans for making it mm-hmm. um, because I, you know, wanted to see what, what I could do. And I was hoping that I'd get to it last night, but it just, I just didn't end up being able to do it. Pro- probably going to do it next week and we'll revisit that topic again. 
but that, my plan is to, and, and I'll tell you kind of around what I'm planning on doing, and you can tell me what you think. Um, so this is this is all just like happening right now. So I'm, I'm planning on making it a little bit sweet, uh, but basically using the same ginger recipe that I have uh, with some, you know, yeast holes, a little bit of maybe new uh, yeast nutrients. I don't know if I necessarily need it with the ginger in there, but I want to make sure I yeah. give them because it's, it's got it's got a little bit of an uh, um, uh, antiseptic, you know, property to it. Yeah, and realistically, if you're putting in the holes, you don't need it because that's what most yeast nutrient is anyway. It's just mm -hmm. ground up holes. Right. Uh, well, I've been using. I have a little bit of Fermax, so mm. uh, it's not all holes. Um, yeah, yeah. Things know. like that. They'll also sometimes put in some. I've seen some they'll actually put in vitamin powders, but other ones will just put in different. Um, either grains or, or other things to give them yeah. a little bit more vitamin. But yeah, holes themselves will probably work fine if you don't want to add anything else. So I'm going to use the same recipe that I used for the beer, mm -hmm. and then I'm going to put three pounds of honey in with it per gallon. Yeah. Uh, and probably going to use the uh, Sweet Squeeze um, Florida honey, because mm -hmm. I bought some of that, and uh, see if I can get some, because that gives like a little bit of... Um, uh, the, the, the one that I have is, a uh, um, orange blossom honey. So it's, it yeah. gives like a little bit of a citrus flavor on top of the other things. I think that, I think that'll nicely complement the flavors of the, uh, ginger beer. And yeah. I was going to suggest that. Is, is there ever a future that you don't put the lemon and lime in, but you put in more citrus honey? Um, I don't know. I mean, that the first I'm going to try going with what's working so far. Mm -hmm. And then maybe the next gallon that I make will be just ginger mead, a ginger orange blossom honey and, um, you know, nutrients and that's it and see how that works out. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure yet. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my plan anyways. So there you go. Um, We'll see. I can make, uh, I, I mean, I'll probably make like three batches of ginger, ginger meat over the next year. Cause I'm, I'm, I really like that. And it's easy to get ginger. I mean, ginger is so it's, it's readily available everywhere. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so let's talk about Ansible. Um, and, uh, well, first of all, tell me what you know about Ansible. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, I actually know a, a decent amount textbook-wise. I don't have too many things I actually try and automate with it, but it's one of those like hot topics in IT right now. So I've taken like some plural site classes on it. I've taken no classes on it. I, um, I, you know, I, I've got a lot of people that have told me, you know, because we use a, a product called uh, Network Service Orchestrator to do our automation for network automation, right? Um, but Ansible has some of the same functionality. It's not quite as robust yeah. to do all of the things that we already do, but you can build some of those same automations out of it. Um, and so I just, I, I, I have some Linux servers in my house. I have a DNS server, a Plex server. I have a couple other things that are run off of Linux, um, you know, to, to be able to make sure that I've, I've got some things that I want to have at home for just whatever it is, media or uh, security or something like that. And so I wanted to make sure that those servers were kind of updated all at the same time. And even on an like automated schedule. Mm -hmm. 
And so what I did uh, is I just, I was watching, I think Network Chuck, and he started talking about Ansible. And then I was like, okay, well, let me, let me dig a little bit more into this because this sounds like maybe the product that I want to do because I've tried a couple other things, like some bash scripting and some things like that, and they weren't quite as user-friendly as I wanted it to be. What I found out was that it was fairly simple, easily, uh, easy for me to get the update to work. But then once I started going into like, well, how do I run this on a cron job? How do I get this to run so that I'm updating all of the Linux devices in my house, which I have like four computers that run Linux. Some have VMs on them, some don't, you know, things like that. How do I make sure that my Docker container turns back up for my Steam uh, cache library, my land cache library? How do I make sure all this works? And, uh, you know, really what it comes down to is that um, you have to, like, make sure that all this, like, is kind of, like, tuned just right. And I, I you know, I basically broke my network a couple times doing this. Um, the I, I, did a, I did one where uh, basically it will check... Uh, to make sure that the the box doesn't need to be rebooted after doing the update at like 3 a.m. And then it, if it does, it'll reboot it right then. Um, well, the problem is that even though I had my Docker container to re set to restart, it was only set to restart um, unless it was stopped. So like if it crashed or something. Okay, yeah. But when the reboot happens, it counts as it being stopped. So it just didn't never turn back on. So my LAN cache server, my, my Nginx um, LAN cache, ser you know, Docker container uh, never came back up. So my DNS was all down uh, because it's the prime, it's like the upstream DNS to my pie hole. Um, by the way, LAN cache plus pie hole is pretty awesome. Um, uh, so, just an aside from the whole Ansible thing, you want something that kind of makes your Steam library update faster. You want to make sure that all the, if you have multiple Windows devices in your house, let's say your wife has like, you know, uh, a Windows laptop and your kids have a Windows laptop and you have a Windows laptop and you want to make sure that anything that gets on your home network gets its Windows update faster. You don't want to, you know... I'm not even worried about cons conserving bandwidth, but I'm more like, you know, I get, I get a gigabit pipe to my house and I'm not like rubbing anybody's nose in it, but that's just what I get. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm not as concerned about things like that, but sometimes it's still slow over wireless and you know, people in my family, they're like, Oh, wires, they suck. I hate wires, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, you know what? I hate also hearing you gripe about how slow getting whatever update is and you're, you're sitting here and you're having to waste time. So it, the, the Nginx thing is set to do steam windows update, um, uh, all, all of the services like GOG and all that other stuff like that land cache thing is just, it's awesome. It just, it, I, I'm blown away by how functional it is. I tried to get it to do it once before. And, um, in, in an earlier iteration, I had a lot of problems getting the, other functions other than the steam cache to work but once once they worked it out to where they just by default have all that set up it's like a well-made french meal it's there delicious delicious um but back to ansible um or, or did you want to have any you have any comments about that i, I just started talking i didn't give you a chance to talk so no no i mean I, I think your experience is pretty typical um especially with ansible it's an amazing tool i mean 
I will say, I mean, it might not actually be, but in terms of like the people that talk about it and where you see people applying it, it is probably one of the most used automation softwares. Mm -hmm. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's a great tool. The only issue with it is it's extrapolating so much of the coding aspect that you can sometimes run into those problems like with what you saw, because you, everything you're doing is now being translated into just like human readable stuff. You don't get to see what the machine sees. So you can't catch those problems as easily. Uh, I had a conversation with somebody about, between Ansible and SO once, and the, the kind of conclusion we came to is Ansible is easier. NSO can give you better results, but you have to work a lot harder at it. And so it just comes down to that. When you're making home projects, you probably don't want to put in as much work as you have to with some of these other automation suites and even just in like even enterprise it if you're a mostly it shop that doesn't have a whole bunch of development training or even just like sometimes you almost need full-time developers if you're running really big automation suites in it you know it's it's kind of the industry leading tool for a reason you can run into little problems with it but it gets the job done I don't. So I think it's the industry leading tool because most people that run servers are also admins. Yeah. And so this this stuff is, you know, this stuff is like geared towards developer admin type stuff. So like a DevOps type role. Um, I I mean, I have no um, qualms about its its drawbacks and its flaws from a from a person who both does DevOps um, as an architect and has to evaluate like technology i would to do to run my network i would not use ansible but i also wouldn't use some of the other tools that have been promote proposed to me i'm not going to name what those are um but if i had a small shop where i didn't want to pay the fee for some of the licensings for other things i would either buy something that's already at its heart made to be able to be automated like um ubiquity or something like that or if i needed to have more control over the automation i probably would use ansible for for automating most things i, I think i could get by with doing network stuff mm. i don't know that i would do it for for most of it though uh, for most of my network stuff i might use just python scripting um i have I, I have experimented some with the ansible network stack and and things like that and it's i'm not as i'm not as fond of that but I see why I see why people use it because if I was a Linux admin, this is definitely the tool that I would use to update my servers to do like I would I wouldn't I wouldn't even worry with Bash scripts. It would just be answered, you know. Some there's some things Bash does great. Um, you know, make some aliases, do some other things like that, make a couple of like scripts that I want to have. But when it comes down to it, Ansible is a great way to run that one of the problems that i see though is if you have a mixed network environment like so if you have like let's say you have an ubuntu server for a web a web server that runs a certain type of software um, and then also you've got a centos or red hat server that runs some software too i can see that being a bit tricky um so yeah you know I'm, I'm, I think, as Network Ch Chuck said, you need to learn Ansible right now. If you are an IT admin and you're not just a network administrator, or which everything's moving towards that, um, or you're, you know, you're a Linux admin and you don't really touch the network, you should 
definitely at least be well educated on it. I would encourage you, man, to go like spin up a server um, in some capacity, you know, at home and and like try to run a couple of servers or get yourself um like uh an an off an off prem server um mm-hmm. and play with it because I think you could do some really wicked stuff with that knowing like with your talents and everything. Um, yeah, that's kind of the next step. I'm finishing up some of my network search, and then I'm going to have to have a long, hard look at the automation suites. Because on mm-hmm. one hand, like Cisco's got some automation search now, so that would be cool to grab. On the other hand, a lot of the stuff that are in those Cisco certs are Cisco products that aren't as widely represented in the market. Yep. So like, you know, knowing DNA really well, that's great if you're going to a Cisco shop, but knowing Ansible, really well is valuable in a lot more places. Yeah. I, you know, some of those, those dev certs though, um, they focus more on open source tools, like the, the Cisco dev certs, then mm-hmm. they, they give you like a rundown of DNA. Like you have to know it and everything, but, or even NSO, you know, or vManage or something like that. But they also have some other things. I've started, um, shifting focus on prepping for that dev cert when it comes to the CCIE. I think that's the first one I'm going to get. Mm. Um, yeah, instead of doing the route switch, um, CCIE, I think that's, that's where I'm going. We haven't talked about that. We probably should at some point in time, but I think that's where I'm, where I'm headed. Um, cause I've already got half of it. I might as well just finish the other half. And if the dev is the first thing that I get, I'm going to kind of be at the front or ahead of the game with, yeah. with, uh, networking. So, yep. Got anything else you want to say about Ansible? No, it's a good product. Yeah, fun times. Um, no Python, no Ansible, no <laughs> other things. That's good things. Uh, so, have you watched Bill and Ted Face the Music yet? I haven't. I haven't watched it, but when I saw them the topic, I went and like watched the trailers, and it looks like it'd be a fun thing to watch. So, all right, so I'm not going to give you any spoilers, you know. Um, it is, it, it, just like at the trailers, it's like, what happens when things don't turn out when you the way you expect them to? This movie, um, I, I'm sure it's not the best movie of the year or anything like that, right? But I feel like it was a really good kind of wrapping up that storyline, mm-hmm. uh, and it had some really great moments. I encourage you, have you watched the first Bill and Ted's? No, so that's what I was going to ask. Is this something that I would benefit having seen the other movies from? How are we, how are we friends? <laughs> and I haven't, I have not let you watch or forced you to watch Bill and Ted's. All right, so um, uh, I have to find some way to get like get you my bill my copy of Bill and Ted's. I guess because I, I have the first two on Blu-ray, mm-hmm. and the the second one, it has some good moments, but you don't have to watch it necessarily to get what's going on. No, no, you do. You really need to watch it. You need to watch the first two movies to get what's going on in the third because It references the first two there. There's things you'll understand, but there's certain, certain jokes and things like that that you just won't get. Um, So I think uh, you should watch those first two movies and then watch the third one. But basically, so Bill and Ted's excellent adventure is about two teenage boys who travel through time and they've been told that they that they're the music that they play will unite the world right uh and and bring about peace and harmony and all these other things no no spoiler there 
second movie is kind of about them moving more towards fulfilling that destiny. And then the third movie is about them not having fulfilled that destiny and kind of how that affects their lives. Right. So that that's basically all the, the, the trailers will tell you all that stuff about the movies. What I will say is the first movie is excellent. Uh, <laughs> the first movie's great. I love it. It's like a, a laugh out loud eighties, nineties kind of comedy. Right. And it's got Keanu Reeves and, and like, you know, it's just great. Everybody should watch, even if you don't like it, you should at least watch it once in your life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the second movie, it's like, if you're a big fan of the first movie, you'll kind of enjoy the second movie, but it's not perfect. And then the, the third movie though, um, is really, um, like kind of brings everything together, I guess is the best way to put it. So, um, I, I highly, highly recommend it. Got it the first weekend it came out, my wife and I watched it and we had some, had some good times laughing about it. So it's not perfect. Like I said, it's not, you can tell that they made it during, um, you know, like a time, like a lot of it was edited and a lot of it was done during a time where, um, you know, it, people weren't able to be around each other as much and everything. Mm. So there was some, there's some issues there, but most of it was shot before. So, okay. uh, yeah. Um, any, any questions you have about Bill and Ted's? Face- no, not yet. I looked up where I could watch the first two. So it'll probably be a little while before I can grab those movies from you. And uh, there's a couple places. They're on Stars, and I've got a Star subscription. Or I got my wife has a Star subscription, so maybe we'll we'll hit those up next weekend. That'd probably be a good idea. Um, and then we can revisit the Bill and Ted's talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have have an episode dedicated to Bill and Ted's if you watch it next weekend. So uh, Apple and Epic, they're fighting. Yeah. Have you heard about this? I have. I've kept up with it a little bit. I, I'm not hardcore into it, but I've I've read quite a few articles from both sides um, about what's going on. You know, dude, I thought you'd be all over this as much as you play Fortnite. Oh, yeah. Um, I've seen someone play that game before. Who was it? I think it was Christian. I Because they, they did that streaming stuff for a little while. I think I watched oh, yeah. it. I, look, I'll give Christian this. I screen cap one heck of a shot from him like halfway across the map because there's like bullet curve and stuff in it uh-huh. just nailed the dude it was impressive yeah uh de- definitely not my type of game and stuff like that but i think i think one of the things that you i mean it, you, all the big tech people are talking about this and everything hmm. just from my standpoint one of the things that this shows is that you can you can position yourself um to be an industry leader and stuff like that. But none of that stuff is, is going to last forever. Like eventually you're going to have something that kind of pulls you down a bit. And, um, this kind of Epic fighting between Apple and Epic games, Epic's the new kid on the block. They're doing things to kind of disrupt, you know, valve and they're doing things to disrupt Apple. They're doing things to, to disrupt Google and, you know, not long ago, Google was the new kid on the block and they were disrupting Apple. Um, but I think that, that this is one of those things where 
don't cheer for either side of this. It, the only reason it's good is because it's, they're fighting each other and they're not, you know, doing crap to like take advantage of people. Cause eventually they're going to be back to doing whatever it is that they want to do to charge you a ton of money for things that you don't really need. Yeah. And, I mean, they're basically fighting over who gets to take your money. Right. You know, it's good to watch them fight because it gets some highlighting on that these practices are happening. But at the end of the day, they're they're just fighting over who gets to be the person to microtransaction. Yep, exactly. Or who gets to be the person that um, gets the lion's share of that money, or who gets to be the person that um, you know is somehow some in some way making the decisions about how those things are happening. Um, now, I don't love Apple. I I don't hate them. I mean, I'm I, I have. Apple computers at home. I have Macs, you know, but I also have Windows machines and I have Linux. Most of the machines that I own are Linux machines. I have a one Mac that I own, uh, and then I have a one Windows desktop that I own, mm. right? Um, but everything else is pr pretty much runs off Linux, and um, or specifically Ubuntu. And you know, that's just the flavor that I prefer for whatever reason it's got the software on it that i want and i like using their servers and stuff like that um centos is great i don't want to say anything bad about that so is arch just have different you know uses i have one arch machine um, i don't have a centos server but it's because everything else is um ubuntu and i want all the i want all the same software that i used to manage it to run off the same thing mm. um so anyways, just going back to that, that, that disclosure in case someone's like, well, you know, you hate on Apple all the time. I don't I like, I have some of their stuff. I use it. I, I enjoy it. Uh, one of the topics that we're going to talk about, I think next is going to be my love of iPods. I love iPods. Mm -hmm. Um, so like they make some good stuff, but all that said, they've kind of been a little totalitarian in the way that they deal with some things. Uh, doesn't necessarily affect me because I'm not a developer or architect or anything like that that deals with their particular software, but it's still, I don't love it. And they've, they're made, they've made some decisions like, you know, having ARM chips instead of Intel chips that may make things more difficult for people is, um, in certain areas like, oh, I don't know, business? Um, areas where you want compatibility between different products and so yeah. or any software you have to actually compile. Yeah. Anyone exactly. doing C stuff is going to not like that. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, all those things, like I've got some complaints about them, but so who, I, I, the whole point that I'm getting here, like with this little bit of a rant is Apple does some good things for consumers sometimes. Like they've got some pretty good privacy stuff. It's not perfect but it's better than like say Google's hmm. um, and, and things like that. And their home automation stuff is actually their home kit stuff um, or the not home kit, the Apple is it home kit. Um, I got to remember now because um, sitting here. Yeah. Home kit. That's right. I right, said so Apple's home kit. I uh, just had had a moment uh, where the, the, or the home kit that works with Apple, whatever, uh, the, that, that stuff not something I know as much about as I do some of the other automation, but it is like 
so much better in some ways than other voice assistants and things like that while at the same time because they're not willing to go to some of the lengths that other you know people do to like google and and those companies to encroach upon your privacies they don't have as good of a voice assistant things like that right so yeah um i don't know that i really feel like epic would be that responsible when it comes when it comes to things yeah i mean epic has taken some not what i would consider best practices before even some other other game stuff is a little bit shady they're trying to lock developers into using their platforms the exclusive deals and things like that um, they really especially in the beginning over boosted their numbers they used to advertise that they sold so much more than steam did and what they really meant was when i think it was metro the second one was starting to gain popularity they made it exclusive so they took it off of steam and then put it only on their platform and they said look how many more copies it sold on our platform than steam like well yeah because you took it off of steam (laughs) you you gave it a couple weeks on one platform and then forced everyone over to another one when it was getting getting popular so you know that stuff's a bit a bit shady and even the stuff they're doing here with apple um i mean apple overstepped I mean, it's why they got ruled against in court. Um, you know, the, they're being forced to reinstate the developer licenses and stuff like that. But uh, they knew, I really think they knew what they were doing. They were banking on Fortnite was big enough that Apple wouldn't do anything about it when they broke the terms of service. I, I think they were planning on them breaking, like doing something about it though. I think I think they're trying to I actually think they're trying to position themselves so that they become the gaming app store, like an alternative gaming app store mm-hmm. for Google and for Android and iOS. Basically. That's my that's my thought on it, just based off of the things mm-hmm. that they're doing. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, I I can't that's that's predicting the future and I can only postulate. I can't 100% yeah. say that that's going to happen that way. That's okay. The fun thing about fights between companies like this it's once it hits the legal system, certain things just become public record. So I haven't got a chance to read them when I was doing my research on this. Um, one of the more recent uh, court filings, they've had to make like a whole bunch of emails public, including the emails back and forth between Epic and Apple before the licenses were revoked. So it'd be real interesting to read through those and and see kind of how these companies are dealing with each other behind the scenes where there's not as much PR in play. Man, for real. <laughs> um, so I, I don't really have anything else to say about that. Do you have anything else you want to say about that topic? No, it's one of the more interesting uh, tech battles I've seen. Because a lot of times they come down to like very specific, like little technology things. Like, is this technically stealing the design off of, you know, because Apple got in a big lawsuit with somebody else a couple of years ago. I forget who. Qualcomm. Um, they got into maybe. a big, big, big thing with Qualcomm over stealing their um, designs and, and patents and things like that and giving them to Intel. That, well, that was one of the things that they got in trouble about recent, uh, you know, in the last couple of years. Gotcha. I don't think that's what I'm thinking of. I remember it came down to being a really petty, and Apple lost, of yep. just a, like, did this phone look too much like an uh, iPhone? That's the Samsung. Samsung, the, that's right. That Samsung that's right. lawsuit, yeah. Yeah, uh, so, like, it, that stuff's kind of boring because it's petty. Like, this one, like, more with the games and, like, a who is really in charge about what goes into the game is kind of more fun to see. 
because it's it is that battle of domain of like technically it's part of the program but then just some random contract that nobody reads like that was the fun thing i'm not sure if you uh, if you've read through microsoft's response to uh to what's going on but they took a really interesting stance of just being like you're just fighting over these contracts that nobody ever reads no customer ever looks through it i mean even the developers when you present them with an 800 page this is you know the terms of service to use my platform nobody reads those things nobody can remember all that stuff so it's just people playing around with these gotchas exactly and and it's it's ultimately going to end up being you know probably terrible for everybody that you're fighting because yeah. it's going to cause some sort of problem that's, that's horrible yeah again it's just people fighting of who gets to take the customer's money yeah all right well this has been episode 14 of the beer and broadband season three uh second half uh we are uh gonna have a probably about 10 more in the second half and then we'll be back around so we're gonna talk for a bit about uh, some of the brews that i've been doing and uh, maybe some of the other plans that we have to do stuff later on um this year uh, as far as brewing and maybe some of ricky's next uh, brews but other than that uh, we hope that we will see you next time and maybe uh you know tweet at us or something like that give us some some questions or thoughts on uh, the episodes and um we'll catch you next time thanks for listening